Hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for being here. If you're watching online, welcome. My name is Tammy Verano, and I'm the Director of Worship here at Community Life Church. And today is going to be an incredible day. Worship is incredible this morning. And the sermon, we're going to be finishing up part two of our sermon series. But would you stand with me this morning, and let's just prepare our hearts and go to the Lord in prayer and uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we open up our hearts to you today. We take a moment just to pause after the long week that maybe we've had, as some of us facing things that are unknown and challenges, and let us just be in this moment with you. Lord, we invite your presence to just come in today to do in us what you desire to do. We know that you are here, Holy Spirit. You live in us, but also that you have a plan today to move through the worship, through the message. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. So be here. Bless those, uh, God, who are online listening. And for all those in the house today, um, Lord, just move in us. We trust you. We love you. And we give you back this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. As uh, Tammy said, we're going to start our time this morning in a time of song, time of praise, time of worship together. We get to lift our voice and uh, just know what God has done for us. I'll read these two uh, verses over us from Psalm 95, and it says, Come, let us sing to the Lord, and let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving, and let us sing psalms of praise to Him. So that's exactly what we'll do this morning, church. Worship with us. I am unaware of these afflictions and 
price our price Drawn to redemption by the grace in His eyes If grace is an ocean we all For his love, church. Amen. Amen. Who I am 
Is running. 
fully and so unconditionally, unconditionally and that you give us all of you, Lord, despite the fact that we don't deserve any of you, God. But you chose to come and, and, and to give yourself fully to us and fully for us. God, I just pray that, that we would stand in awe of that today and every day. That we would respond by, by bringing you glory and just leaning into you further. God, I pray that we would not take lightly the fact that we have the God of the universe, the Lord of all being, giving himself for us and giving us his whole heart. Lord, we love you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys, before you can be seated, uh, stay up, uh, look around, greet somebody you don't know. Uh, we have a one-minute timer on the clock. Uh, just get out of your seat and uh, get to know somebody.
everyone is doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this absolutely stellar Sunday morning. At least, at least it is here. And, and also welcome those that are online. You may be dealing with snow. I'm sorry. You should come visit because it is amazing outside. But I do want to welcome you and thank you for, for being here with us today. Um, my name is Scott Verno. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor um, to have this time uh, with you. Uh, Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And in this series that we're in the middle of, I will also tell you that he's the source of love. And so if you need life or you need love, we want to connect you to the one that is the source of both of those things. And we believe that Jesus has something to say about whatever it is that you're walking through in life. So if we could stand alongside you and help you, please, please, please let us know, because we would absolutely um, just, just be honored to be able to do that. So a couple quick announcements, and then um, we're going to jump into our, our second and final part of our series on, on love. Uh, is First thing to know is if you're here maybe for the first time or been coming a little while and you're just looking for a way to connect, there are two QR codes on the seat in front of you. The one to the left is an active QR code. If you'll open up your phone and use that QR code, it gives you a way to, to connect with us. It also gives you all the information, so it'll take you to a link where you can kind of see what's what's uh, coming up so you can sign up and be a part of the life of the church. The one on the right, the QR code on the right, is our giving QR code. So if you're, if you're tech savvy and that's your way of giving, right? Then that's, that's one way that you can go ahead and do that. If you're a check writer and there are still a lot of you around, um, you can do that by mailing it into the church. We have boxes around by all the doors, white boxes by the doors. You can put those in there. And we're just so grateful um, that you're choosing to, to connect with us in terms of, of resource. So, um, so it's going to be an interesting week coming up. We start our Easter series on Wednesday night with an Ash Wednesday service. That's going to be Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And uh, one of the interesting things is I've been trying to process through and think about a new place that we are as a church. So we are a multi-denominational church. We have a lot of Baptometha, Costa, whatevers, right? Like, like you guys are all over the spectrum. And if you come from one of those traditional belief systems, then Ash Wednesday is a part of your routine that you're, you expect it, you're looking for it, and there's a, there's a beautiful part of that. If, you're, if you don't, if you come from a different world, you're thinking, Ash Wednesday, that's strange. And here's what I would say to you. We're not ever going to do anything at this church where we don't explain tradition. We don't do tradition for the sake of tradition. There has to be a reason for it. So Ash Wednesday is, is a night where we prepare our hearts for the journey to the cross. And it's a time when we push aside all of the impediments and we take the season between Wednesday and Easter to choose to push all of those things out of the way so we can truly focus on the resurrection of Christ. Now, you can come on Wednesday night. It does not mean that you have to take the imposition of the ashes. Maybe you just want to come and be a part of a beautiful service. And so I encourage you to do that and, and to connect to your faith. That's going to be Wednesday at, at, uh, at 6 o'clock. And then on March 4th, at 8.30 in the morning, we are going to get all of you men and women that love to get into gardening, like that kind of stuff. Y'all yard workers, you know you're out there. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of work around the grounds. We're going to be in the butterfly garden. We'll be all over the place. And so if you just want to come out here and get into the earth and get dirty, come on. 8.30 to 11.30, and we'll cook for you afterwards. Um, we're just going to get everything ready on the campus as we move towards Easter, just kind of get everything uh, stood up and ready to go. Amen? Okay, um, and one more thought before we jump into the message. So I have a lot of folks that have asked me about the revival that's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, it's just, some of you who have not heard anything about that, you've got to get some different things on your Facebook feed, right? Like, we've got to figure that out. But uh, God's doing some incredible things at Asbury Seminary um, in Wilmore, Kentucky, with a group of students who decided to stay after a service and just start to pour their hearts out. And it starts with repentance. It starts with, just like Ash Wednesday, removing those impediments and really focusing on and getting their hearts and lives with God. And, and it's just continued. It's a service that's in, started nonstop and continued to go through. And now you're hearing about it in the news. It's starting to spread to other places. And it's beautiful. People ask me about it all the time. They're like, Scott, how do you feel about that? And it's really weird as preachers because I see some of my friends, they're like, well, because when you hear revival pop up, it's easy sometimes in the preacher world to try and be a skeptic of that. I'm going to tell you, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to be that guy. I love when the Spirit of God starts to pour out, but here's what's so unique about this. It's in a college, and it's the next generation. And so in our series last, our last series in Joshua, we talked about the turnover from Joshua to Judges, 
And the difference between Joshua and Judges was that the next generation, they heard the stories of their parents, but they didn't experience God for themselves. And what I see going on in this revival is that these are young men and women that are getting to experience what God is doing in their own lives. And they're doing it by opening up themselves and really confessing sin and moving closer to God. And so I can celebrate that, right? I mean, that's an absolutely beautiful moment. And so for that next generation to experience it is so powerful and so profound. And so I say, amen, and continue on, right? Now, here's the other thing that I'll add, because the church world goes so crazy when we start to hear about revival. People think that they just have to go. And if you have to go, go, right? Like I encourage you to go because you'll experience things maybe in that moment that, that you wouldn't if you, if you didn't go. But remember this, the event of revival is not as important as the work of revival, right? Now, you know, it's okay. You don't have to clap for that. The event of revival is awesome. And you will experience, Pam and I were just talking about this earlier. You may experience just a profound move of God in your life. Right? But remember, the work of revival is to change our hearts to transform us so that we can present differently in the world. And guess what? You can experience revival today. You can experience in your life, you can experience in your heart, and if we all got together and we all started to do that, you know what? Revival would sweep across the land in a beautiful way. So I'm so excited about what's going on, and I celebrate it, and I celebrate us doing the very same thing in, in our hearts and lives. Amen? Okay, so, um, so we're in the second part of this series on love, and it's just been interesting. And I'll tell you, you've, you've maybe heard it said that a preacher goes in and wrestles with Scripture. Well, these last two weeks for me have been an MMA fight. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. And, and what I present to you today, I hope, is a win. Like, I hope it's something that's good that will help you to understand. But I have to be honest, these two weeks, and I, man, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. But a deep dive into the theology of love and how love shows up in our lives, it's changed me in very interesting ways to think about the future, to think about my life, to think about what's most important and how that processes out. And so as I stand here to deliver this message, I'm not the guy who has it all right. I'm the guy who studied it and said, we've got to be better. And we've got to continue to move forward in our understanding of, of the true nature of God, which is love. And so hopefully as a church, we can embrace this, understand it, and, and continue to move in that direction. So just a quick recap of last week. And so we started talking about um, 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. And this is the chapter where John lays out for the whole world and he says, God is love. And the two main points of John, and this is not, not rocket science, is this. God is love, and if you consider yourself to be a believer in God, then you should what? Love. If God is love and God is in your life, then that should result in love. We become a conduit. We become the vessel by which God loves through. And so God transforms us. He changes us. So it shouldn't be real hard for us to understand. It's, it's the most simple message, but it's also the most profound message because Christians aren't always lovely. Amen? Right? But we should be because if God is love, then we should be love. And so then if you go on and you keep reading in 1 John chapter 4, John goes to great lengths to unpack that. He talks about how do, how do you know that God is love? And his point is because he sent his son. He sent his son to rescue us, to save us, um, and he loved us so that we might have life. But he did it not because we're awesome and because we were doing things right. He did it because... He's love. And if God is love, how is God going to respond? With love. And so that's how God reached out to us. And he sent his love and he responded in a way that wanted to be with us, that wanted to atone or to set a system by which we can be together with. And so the expression of Jesus shows us that God loves us. And then as he goes on in the chapter, how do you connect to God? You allow that love of God that's expressed in Christ to be rooted in your life. When you become a believer, and every denomination is going to think of this differently. Some think it's in baptism, some think it's in confession, some think it's in a different way. I'm going to tell you, when you allow the love of God to root inside of your heart, that's when you know that you have started to be transformed and started to be changed because it changes who you are. That confession of the mouth comes out of what, you, what, what God has done, and you're, un, you're, you're catching a hold of that, and it brings about that instant change that starts to transform you. And so how do I know that I connect? You see that God has loved you. You receive that love into your life. And then finally, what does it do for you? It brings about transformation. You're no longer the same person. 
that things like fear and anxiety, all of those things can be pushed to the side because you realize that you are now a son and a daughter of a king. And how many of you know if you're related to the king, things are way better, right? I mean, life is way better, but that's honestly the perspective that they give us in scripture, that you don't need to fear certain things because of your connection and your heart to God, that we process differently, we think differently, and that's how we move forward. So because God is love, then we, we should love as well, and he puts all of those other things in place. And so now we're gonna move into probably one of the most well-known chapters and sections of, of scripture that have to do with love, and that is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. If you have been married or been to a ceremony, you probably heard these words read at your ceremony. The preacher probably taught an awesome sermon about it. But I'm gonna tell you, these were not ever fully intended to only represent marriage. Although they're amazing and they can be used in marriage, it's an all-encompassing paragraph that's designed for us to process in our life with every single person, not just our spouse, but with every single person that we encounter. So we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 13, but what I know about you is that you love context, you love maps, you love pictures. You're gonna get pictures today, y'all. So here we go. Oh, somebody's like, woo-hoo-hoo, we get pictures. So Corinthians, um, here's our map. And this is the map of the Mediterranean right here. And um, here's where most of the biblical story that we study takes place. Here is Jerusalem down here. Here's where, the, where Israel is. Here's Egypt, and there's all that land in between. The arrows that you see going across the Mediterranean Sea, these all encapsulate Paul's missionary journeys. And so this map, if you were to go back and follow it, really follows along in the book of Acts and where Paul goes and what he sets up and what he does. What I want you to be mindful as we move into this, this letter to the, the church at Corinth is, is where we are. So last week we were in Ephesus right here where John becomes a pastor after Paul had been martyred. He becomes a pastor late in life in Ephesus and that's when he writes 1 John. But over here on the southern part of Greece, modern day Greece right here, is this city or this ancient city of Corinth. So just for purposes before we go to the next map, here is Rome or Italy. So think of Italy or Rome as being the center of the Roman world at that time. Here is Israel. Here is Egypt. Here's the Aegean Sea. Here's the Adriatic Sea and the Mediterranean Sea connecting them all. So now let's go into the next, next picture. So this is an image of, so here's, here's Italy over here on the side. Here's the Aegean Sea. Here's the Adriatic Sea. And here's the Mediterranean. And this is Greece. All right, here's Ephesus. So you kind of got a bearing of the land. And here's Corinth. And this right here is the Peloponnesian, it's, it's, it's Peloponnesia, but it's Peloponnesian Peninsula. <laughs> Say that fast. Um, but what I want you to see on this map as you zoom in is this little piece of land right here. Okay, this is going to help you to understand where Corinth comes from. So go ahead and go to the next, next map. Ooh, that's a different change in color. So here it is up here. The, I said that, Isthmus? Yep, of Corinth. It's a piece of land that connects the southern part of Greece to the northern part of Greece. It's just one solid piece of land, this little um, piece of land that connects those two areas. Now you say, Scott, why do you tell me this? I want you to understand why Corinth is how Corinth is in, in, in the ancient text. If you were moving anywhere across the known world from east to west, west to east, or if you were in Greece and you were going from south to north or north to south, this piece of land right here becomes very formational for you in your life. Because if you jumped on a boat from Israel and you were going to go to Rome, you had a choice. You could come and you could sail, sail around the southern part of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. But if you did so, you would be running into the currents from the Adriatic and the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. And it was treacherous. It was horrible. And you were navigating by wind. You couldn't just throw your motor up and just motor around the end of that. It's 200 and something miles around. But... Historians found something so interesting about this, space, about this place. Back possibly as early as 6th century BC, engineers built a land bridge across this peninsula. Three and a half miles across, think Pensacola Bay Bridge, where you could sail your vessel up into this port, unload all of the goods, and then they would take and they would move that vessel across this land, put you in the water, you would reload here and you would take off this, not having to deal with all of this nightmare right here. 
And so what, in essence, this little city of Corinth grew up into this huge burgeoning place because all the cultures of the world would go through there. They would travel through there. And so here we have a picture for you. Um, These are ancient roads. They would pull those boats out. They would put them on this contraption and they figured out how to move it across the land. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Three and a half miles all the way across the middle part of that area and put it in the water on the other side. And while they were doing this, you could go to Corinth and have a good time. Now, it's said that they could do this in about three hours. Now, that's, that's amazing when you think of antiquity and what they're able to do. The Spartans used this to move their warships. Rome used this to move their, their warships. Just an interesting part of the world. But if you had all of the cultures from east and west and even north and south traveling through your area, you would find a city that was very rich in all of the cultures of the world. And one of the markers of Corinth is that it was a very immoral city, Um, In Corinth, on one of the mountains behind there, was the temple to Aphrodite, which is known as the Greek goddess of love, Eros love, so that's sexual or physical love, and she had over, well, their temple had over a thousand temple prostitutes, and so sailors that would come through there would engage in all sorts of activities, right? So when you think about it, probably the modern day equivalent might be Las Vegas. (laughs) Not that I know. Um, Except you're not driving your boat into Las Vegas, right? Like, that's not working. That's out in the middle of nowhere because that's why, whatever, forget it. Let's just keep moving. But it kind of gives you an idea of it. So, so as Paul is traveling around, he goes into Athens, has some issues in Athens, and then ultimately he lands in Corinth. And, and you're th- he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do here? Like, this town is a red-hot mess. And God says, uh-uh, don't be afraid. Go in there and proclaim the gospel. And he starts to do that, and God starts to move, and he grows this great, wonderful church. And so as he grows this church, eventually, after a year and a half, he leaves. Now he goes and he starts to go back on these next missionary journeys. And ultimately, you remember the story I told you last week about Ephesus? When Paul goes into Ephesus and he starts the church and there's this great outpouring of the Spirit of God? While he's in Ephesus, that's a time period of a year, a year and a half, he's responding to letters. There's a person in Corinth, her name is Chloe. What you get in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is Paul writing back to Chloe's household And Chloe is one of those people in church, I'm not throwing any shade on you, I'm just throwing out facts, that loves to report about all the things that are going wrong. Ever know any of those people? Right, so Chloe sends a letter to Paul and she's like, we got this going on and this going on and this going on and this going on, you got to do something about it. And so he writes a letter to help address those things. That's 1 Corinthians. It really is a, it's a church letter, how to solve the issues of a church. And here are some of the challenges um, that they were going through. They were dealing with disunity. They were fighting over who was the best. Was it Paul, Apollos, one of the other wonderful teachers that was there, or some people liked Peter, or some people said, oh, I don't need any of those, I have Christ, right? Like, so this false humility. So they were all, there was a disunity about the church. There was an immaturity about them. They weren't growing up. Paul talks about milk and meat, and not taking care of yourself, and not growing into the things of God. There was an impurity. There were people that were doing things that even in that culture, they considered to be wrong and immoral. And he's like, you got to deal with these things. Personal liberties, um, food, that a meat that was sacrificed to other idols. There were Christians that are like, well, that's not even a real God, so let's just go eat that meat over there. And people are like, you can't do that as sacrifice to another God. And Paul's like, I know there's nothing wrong with the meat, but you're offending half the church, so cut it out. And then they get to this understanding of how to lean into the, uh, the, the, the operations of, of being a church. And he has this conversation about the Lord's Supper. And this one you can't make up, and I encourage you to go back and read it. So in, in Corinth, the, the church had kind of divided up into classes of people. And their understanding of the Lord's Supper wasn't as much our understanding where it's just bread and it's the cup and it's something we come together to do. It was more of a feast. And what was happening is the people that were more well-to-do, they would bring in the wine and they would bring in the food and they would have a huge party and they would eat everything and then everybody else in church would show up and there'd be nothing left. They're like, hey, love you, brother. And Paul's like, what are you doing? He's like, you're drunk and the way that you're handling the Lord's Supper is all wrong. You gotta throw this stuff out. And so then he gives them a better understanding of how to hold the Lord's Supper. So so here's what I would say to you, and, and I hope this helps. When you read 1 Corinthians... It is, it is him trying to address the issues of a church. And what I'll just go ahead and say right up front is there are no perfect churches, amen? And if you find one, 
you should not stay because you'll ruin it. <laughs> How about that? There are no perfect churches. And so we all have issues to work through. They just had a bunch of them and a bunch of really interesting ones that they, that they particularly deal with. And so for our reading today, um, Paul gets through and he's explaining in chapter 12 this awareness of spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to be together and operate as the body of Christ. But as he moves out of chapter 12, the flashy, um, evident part of, of God's working, as he moves out of that part of the of the of of operating as the body of Christ, he then brings the focus back around to the most important thing. And so I wanna read the transition between 12 and 13 because I think it's so important to keep the focus where the focus needs to be. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you're corporate, but you also own your piece of it. And if we all own our piece, then corporately we're gonna be fine. And so he sets that foundation up. And then he says this, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church, don't, don't forget about the order that he puts them in, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, deeds of powers, uh, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. He doesn't answer that, but what he's saying is all of those things are amazing. Can, can you have all of the gifts? He's, so that's his question. I think he would say, you can't have all the gifts, but listen, strive for the greater gifts. So he's not discounting them. He's saying, there's all these gifts that are there for a reason, and I want you to strive for those things. And then here's this last transitional phrase, and many biblical scholars believe that this should have been the part of the beginning of chapter 13. He says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So although all those things are amazing, I'm gonna show you even a better way. And then we get into chapter 13. And so we're gonna read it, talk about it, come back and tie this whole series together. And so let's, uh, let's see where we can get. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We hear that, it sounds so poetic, it sounds so beautiful, it sounds so idealistic. And here's what Paul's doing. He's creating the image for us of, of a super Christian, right? So M Marvel seems to be the topic nowadays in my house. My, uh, my family loves all of the movies, all the superhero movies. I'm the one that gets drugged along reluctantly um, to go do that. I shouldn't say that because now all you Marvel folks think I'm weird. Um, feeling is mutual. Um, I would say that to my family. So there you go. I can throw that out there. I'm sorry. That's okay. Once again, there's things I wish I could get back. Um, I love y'all. You're interesting and fun. Um, but what Paul does is he takes the most valued attributes at the time in the Greek culture and he lifts them up. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, think about that. Imagine if you knew somebody that just had an angelic tongue that could speak a language that God does, especially in the Greek culture, in the times of the gods and the goddesses, you would be a person that was elevated and celebrated, right? Like, like if you had that, go on to the next part. He says, and if you had prophetic powers, that's able to, to look forward and, and, and to call into being what God has, has put into place and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Think of enlightenment and what knowledge meant to them in the Greek culture. If I have all of that, and if I give away all my possessions, if I'm humble and I humble myself and I give away all, everything that I have, think of the person that he's painted a picture of. A person that speaks the tongues of angels, that has all of the knowledge and all the wisdom you can ever imagine and is willing to be self-sacrificing. If I can be all of that and not have love, then guess what? Zip! I amount to nothing. Now we have to reconcile with that because that means that you can be all of those things and still be zip in the eyes of what God is really looking for in our lives. Verse four, now verses four through seven, this is what you hear most often. And um, remember, um, a lot of times we personalize this and I think it's important to personalize this, but you, you have to hold that Paul is talking to individuals, but he's also talking corporately. 
And he starts to describe love. The biggest thing I would tell you as you go through this is that every single one of these attributes describing love is something that is not self-centered. It's other-focused. It's doing something or uplifting or encouraging. It's, so it's out-focused. Think of the love of God, for God so loved the world that had betrayed and walked away from God that he gave. And so it's, it's a willingness to sacrifice and to give yourself for something that, that maybe isn't beneficial to you. And so let's just read through and process a little bit and, um, and, and pull it together. So he says in, in verse four, or I'll read all the way through seven, he says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so let's start with the first two things, love is, love is patient and love is kind. That word patient is so interesting. Because if you are not a patient person, then who are you concerned about? Self. Being patient with someone is giving them maybe your most valuable resource, which is your time. If you are willing to give of your own time to someone else, then you are patient with someone else. Can can you see what I mean by this? The definition of this takes it from yourself and it gives it to someone else. Being patient with someone else is, I'm not gonna run by you because I'm concerned about something else. I'm going to be patient. I'm gonna give you time. I'm gonna give you place. Love is kind. That word kind in the Greek is associated with the awareness of being sweet or being pleasant. You ever spend time with people and you're just like, oh my gosh, they ooze this whatever that is that they ooze. And you put those things together. Can you imagine somebody that will give you time and just makes you feel special. You know the people I'm talking about. That's the marker of love, where they make time for you, they make you feel special, they make you feel like you just, I don't don't even know how to describe it. Those are the words and the markers that go along with it. And then he moves into this four-part description, if you will. We can look at them individually, but really they kind of paint an image of a person. And we all know people this way, maybe we are this way at times. He says, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. These things all have to do with being harmful to someone else. Envious. You ever have somebody just, they get a promotion and the first thing you think is, well, I didn't get a promotion. Right? Well, that's not right. I shouldn't say that. That's, that was mean. You get the point. Um, or something good happens to someone else and, in, and instantly you're jealous. It's something you got to work on. Being envious is not allowing yourself to celebrate the goodness that someone else is experiencing. Or boastful. You ever have those people in your life where they'll go, oh, that's enough about me. What do you think about me? Right, like just constantly talking about themselves. And, and the, the understanding of that is when you're talking about yourself, what are you doing to everybody else? You're not giving them place or concern of their lives or even giving them the spot. Or, or arrogant. Arrogant is to be prideful and to actually, in your mind, elevate yourself above someone else. It's harmful to someone else. Or rude. Rude is just not even giving someone place, being mean to someone. And so it's kind of more like a characteristic or a person. In the context of 1 Corinthians, they may have people or they may experience people in the life of the church that are this way, and Paul's saying, it can't be that way. It's not okay. Got to root this stuff out. Um, Continue, and, and he says, it does not insist on its own way. Um, if you're a person that you just, you just will not listen to someone else, you decide it's my way or the highway and you've not processed anybody else, you've not gone through that, it's just gonna be your way, once again, focused back on self, not willing to hear, to listen, to consider, or to even process what someone else maybe has learned along the way. Um, it is not irritable or resentful. Uh, you ever meet those people in an office setting? We've all had them where you walk on eggshells around them because you know if you wake them up or you stir them up, everybody's gonna pay for their sins. We all know those people, irritable, resentful. They have to have everything on their own terms and you just avoid them. It's not a loving marker of a person or a human being. If you find yourself that way, it's time to start processing. It's time to start working through that. Um, he says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Now you read this and you think it's, it's easy to understand. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. So I'm not gonna celebrate somebody who's doing things wrong. That's not what that means. We as believers, we find it so easy to look and see someone else's sin. But in our own lives, we are quick and easy to justify. Right? We just allow those things to go. Little white lie here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we're okay with it. So, so read that again. He says, he says, we do not rejoice in wrongdoing, but, but rejoice in the truth. 
So taking those areas, it's about transformation to me, taking those things that you know are not right and not just holding on to them, but what the truth says is to get those impediments out, to move them out. Love is to not allow that stuff to be in your life, but to move it out because it's gonna make you, it's gonna be beneficial to you, it's gonna be beneficial to others. And then finally, um, verse seven, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The way my Bible, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, translate this is not helpful because you know Paul doesn't mean that they bear all things or they believe all things. Paul doesn't mean that love is someone who believes all things. So you have to understand in context what he's talking about. The circumstance of standing alongside someone, if you are being a loving person to someone else and you bear all things, that means you are gonna stand there and undergird them. To believe all things, that means you are gonna hold out for them that what God is doing inside of them is going to grow and come to fruition. If you are gonna hope all things, that means that in the situation, in the circumstance, you are gonna believe that God God ultimately will bring about what God has spoken. That's the hope, that's the larger picture. And finally, endures all things. That you can push through, pursue, hold up, stand alongside. It's an image of God that we know. That God is going to be present with us. At the end of the service, Sarah is gonna sing a hymn um, called God, uh, um, it's not abide in me, it's, it's abide with me. The God that is present with us in life. That, that's what that looks like, but that's us choosing to do that. And so you get to see those, it's like putting skin on the gospel and seeing it in action. And then verse eight, all the way down through 12. To me, this first part of verse eight says, love never ends or love never fails. In weddings, we love to tag that on to the end of the last part because it just sounds good. Love is patient, love is kind, but love never fails. Trust me, I've seen it fail, right? In those senses, when we try to tag it into a marriage relationship, Paul is beginning a new thought. And I want you to hear this thought all together in context. Verse eight, he says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, remember he's talking about the church and how we operate together, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, so that our abilities to use those gifts, we start to catch a glimpse of what God is doing. He says, but then we will see face to face. Then we will fully understand. He says, now I know only in part, then I will fully, or I will know fully, but listen to this last verse, even as I have been fully known. So think of our lives as being broken and not perfect. He says, we can see snapshots as we're working it out and as we're working through the transformation, but there is a God that already fully knows me knows my brokenness, and here's the beautiful thing, still loves me, chose to love me. And so he's taking prophecies and tongues and, and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, and he's saying they all have a place, but they're temporal in light of love. They all point to love. All of the results of all of those things that I've taught you how to operate in church with, they all are supposed to point to the main goal, which is love, because God is love. And then you have this last verse, and to me, I think this is the point. He says, and now... Faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. And so you look at that, faith, hope, and love. Why is love the greatest? Faith and hope, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, so faith is a, a substance. It's, a, it's an evidence that we believe something. Hope is the thing that we believe. And love is the point. And so when those things are in our life and love is there as well, I'm gonna tell you those are the residue that's pointing towards the ultimate love. And so why is it primary? because it's the point. That's why you have faith. That's why you have hope, because it all points back to this understanding of, of who God is. I'm going to need oxygen at some point. Okay, you got it? So everybody kind of with me at this point? If you're totally confused and, and don't know where you're at, welcome to the party. Um, I want to pull all this together, because I, I think this is going to make sense to you. As we kind of round it out, and as in these two weeks, and it's a fast two weeks, put together some of the theological underpinnings of, of what we understand love to be and how it, how it works inside of our lives. So, um, so if we start with last week as being that base for our understanding of love, John does two things. He says, God is love, and if God is love and you believe in God, then we should what? So God is love, and if we believe in God, then we should love as well. That's not real hard to understand. Right? I mean, so just, just take that as a believer and hold on to it. If God is love, that's exactly how we should respond in this world. 
even if in instances things aren't going the way that we intend them to be. If God was fickle like that, Jesus would have got on the earth and said, yeah, I'm out of here. It's not how he responded, right? Still self-sacrificing gave himself. So John sets the foundation. God is love, and if we believe in God, we're going to respond as such. This week, when you pull Paul in, then you can almost simply look at it and say, well, then Paul's words are the manual for how to live it out. So if, if God is love and we're supposed to love, then we can just read Paul and we know, okay, well, if we're patient and if we're kind and if we're not envious and boastful and arrogant and all those things, then guess what? We're, we're all good. But there's a subtle note in this chapter that I think bears mentioning, and I think maybe it's the main point. Because, and I don't want anybody to miss this, that Paul mixes in culture and the practice of love. And he does this by describing things that culture thinks are lovely. And we already talked about those with the, the, the tongues of the angels, the knowledge and giving all that we have. And, and so you can look at that and you can look at those things and say, so if I just do that, if I go out and I just accomplish those, then I'm going to be good. But here's my thought. If we're not careful, you can walk away from this list and learn exactly how to become the fakest person on the planet. And we have all experienced people that when you bounce into them in a certain setting, they are oozing honey and sugar. And then when you see them 20 minutes later, it's a completely different person, right? Love on the outside, but there's something that hasn't happened on the inside, right? And so for me, when you get to verse 13 and it talks about faith, hope, and love abide, these things to me are not just actions in the world, they are the substance from which the action flows. So God is not just an action, God is what? Hold on, God is not just an action, God is? And because God is love, what does God do? Right? God doesn't do, and so therefore God is love. God is love, and from that, he responds into the world. And so when we think of ourselves, and we think of our own humanity, we can't do this. The reason that God sent Jesus in the first place is because we can't be patient. Scott is not patient. Scott is not kind. Scott is envious. Scott is all of those things apart from God because Scott is a human and I am the center of my being and I love myself. The human plight is that we want to be God ourselves. And so what we have to understand is that if we want to be love and we want to be lovely, it's not just an action. We have to be which gets us back to this understanding of abiding, to allow God to abide inside of us. And when we move ourselves off the throne of our heart and we allow God to take the center focus, that's when things change. Because it's no longer Scott, it's God in me, bringing about those things. And so when someone looks at me, I hope that they don't see Scott. I hope that they see the transformation of Christ in my life, being patient, being kind, um, being loving, being all of those different things but it only works when we're willing to yield ourselves, not just to look lovely in the world, but to be lovely in the world. And when we understand this, that's when revival happens right here in our own congregation. Because people will experience God firsthand through you. And we'll get ourselves out of the way and we'll allow them to experience. And, and here's, here's how I'll close out the sermon, is to say it all starts with the simple belief of opening up our heart and opening up our life and choosing that God loved us. We can make our gospel message about so many other things, but if we lose the aspect of love, we've completely lost the point. That God sent his son into this world to set this world right so that we could be back in relationship and at one with him. And so today, maybe if you're struggling with that, I pray that you'll just open up and say, God, begin this transformation inside of me. I want a part of that message. Help to start to transform, bring me to that place. And I'm gonna tell you, when you lean into that, you'll start to experience the greatest transformation in your life. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for this opportunity today to, to really just be mindful of who we are and whose we are. Yes, we wanna be in this world doing the things you've called us to do, but God, never let us forget that it starts with the transformation and becoming love first allowing that transformation to happen so that when we operate out of that, it's not a fake facade. The world gets to see the real thing. And for all of my brothers and sisters that maybe open up their heart for the very first time today, God, I pray that, that, that salvation would abound.
that your love would abound in a very broken and hurting world. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you, if you will, to stand. And some of you love hymns. Some of you, you've never heard a hymn in your life. Sarah is going to lead you in a very beautiful hymn, and I encourage you to sing along with her as you're able. We're going to open up the front. If you want to come down and spend some time in prayer, Addie's on this side, and I'll be on this side. If we can agree with you in prayer, we'll be so honored to do that this morning. Tide, the darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs our life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. Oh, thou who changest not abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guidance they can be? Through cloud and sunshine abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. As heaven's morning breaks, as heaven's morning breaks in life, in death. Abide with me in life, in death. Abide with me in life, in death. Oh Lord, abide with me. We thank you so much uh, for gathering with us this morning. It is not uh, lost on us that um, there's a transforming process that's happening in this room and in this place in our community through God in our lives. And so when we are open to that, when we allow God to, to be God in our lives, amazing things happen. They have happened, they are happening, and, and truly they will continue to happen. So thank you for being God's people, for being the people who love well. And so as we head out the doors this week, as we go uh, back to the base, uh, back to our offices, back to our homes, back to Walmart. Let us remember to, uh, to love well. Be patient with those people around us. Be kind. And that will not be of our own doing, but the transforming process is happening because the God who loves us and created us loves us so much to not leave us like we are. If you are new here or you want to learn how to grow deeper in your faith, we would love to meet you in the Next Steps room just right out in the lobby. But before we leave this place, let us pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you so much for the lives that we have. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and it's through him that we have life. I pray that you would continue to bring us to the place where we can be your people, where we are known to be your children because of the way we love, God, not on our own power, but God, because of the love that you have placed inside of us, because that is simply who you are. We give you thanks, and we pray that you would help us. Help us every step of the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.